You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about Bishop Boyer's new pastoral letter. We hear a reflection on St. Dominic, and we listen to a poem by Joseph Matthias, Christmas Tabernacle. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. Happy New Year, Father. Happy New Year, indeed. Good to see you. I, I know you've, uh, you and your family have been dealing with stuff. <laughs> I'm still dealing a little bit with, with the crud, and uh, hopefully by the time this comes out, I will be entirely on the mend. Yeah, but, we uh, were talking about that a little bit before we press uh, record. It we're not talking about the weather, we're talking no, about we're our talking health. About, yeah, just to change that up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. I think the weather affects it, though, because we're all indoors, mm-hmm. crammed up against each other. We had COVID, we had strep yeah. throat. We My had goodness. All yeah, the, a lot of people have been struggling. Yeah, so we uh, we didn't get out of the... You know, a lot of people, they get stressed out over the holidays because they're going, going, going to have these different families and parties. We were getting stressed out because we weren't going anywhere. We needed to right, get out right, of the right, house. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> We oh, had had enough of uh, family love for there for a little bit. So, uh, But uh, we're all mended up now, and... Uh, we're ready to go into the new year, I think. Yeah, just a, a bit of a follow-up to our last podcast, if you have listened to it, um, was dealing with the declaration from the dicastery, the prefect of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith. And uh, if you're following matters ecclesiastical, uh, you'll, you'll know that um, there was a clarification, which I'll just say, frankly, wasn't all that clarifying. And just... I want to encourage everybody in the parish or anybody who's listening to us to just pray about this because uh, our God is not a God of confusion and he will, through whatever means necessary, bring clarity to what has been an unhelpful uh, process of strategic ambiguity. It doesn't mean that, but it could mean that. And and there's a lot of people wanting this text to uh, either prohibit uh, the blessings or to uh, further the blessings. And when a text is trying to cover everything and allow all kinds of interpretation, it is uh, not serving the cause of truth. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say there were two things that I appreciated about the clarification. He gives an example of what this blessing could look like. And I appreciated that, again, this isn't just for gay couples. This is for any couple that is in, uh, quote, unquote, irregular. Irregular. Uh, There's an acknowledgement in the example that they're not living the gospel value and that that can be part of the blessing. I appreciated that, uh, that addition. Uh, The other part was when he said that the sign of the cross should be given over each. uh, Which which I I mean, it, it... I think that is an indication, at least this is my read, that he's he's perceiving how problematic uh, the blessing of the couple yeah. was and remains. And the and, lo- yeah, the longer that I sit with this, this is my sticking point. Um, to even refer to them as a couple, I think, gives up the farm. Um, because, uh, one, 
uh, in the case of uh, like a divorce and remarried or something like that, uh, illeg- illegitimately remarried, uh, we can't speak of them as a couple uh, because the one, one of the, or both are part of a different couple. That's right. They can't be joined. In the they're case, not free. They're not free to be joined. Uh, in the case of a, a homosexual relationship, it's ontologically impossible for them to be joined. So the 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 giving up of of that language, I think, becomes a problem. Now I've had plenty of conversations with people who disagree with me, and I don't. Uh, good people uh, with sound minds um, who think that you can separate the union from the couple. I disagree. I think that's. Uh, I think that that's the slip. That's where this for me where the slippery slope lies. Well, and and I, I think clearly priests like Father James Martin were eager to bless unions, not just couples, yeah. and they were doing it in the context of, uh, or at least in the location of the sanctuary or the nave of a church. So, the, and you know the the clarification as you pointed out. Uh, 10 or 15 seconds. Well, if it's 10 or 15 seconds and it doesn't change anything, why did, why did we even write this document? Well, that, again, I, I still don't understand that. I mean, it, Well, I think I, I, my, my cynical view, or maybe a realistic view, is that there is a desire to change praxis, which would eventually lead to changing of the teaching. But we know, and I said this this morning at Mass, uh, Something might be declared that is false, but eventually it will be rectified and it will be clarified. Nothing that is not true can be pastoral. Yeah, yeah, those that's, are the, that's, that's Pope a, Benedict. Yeah, that's the famous line from Pope Benedict. And I would say, um, if we find ourselves getting too worked up, we need to step away. I made a commitment during the Christmas holiday to just not even think about this, read about it. I had people texting me links to commentary, and I just set it all aside because I I saw within myself that I was getting obsessed. That's right. And it was Christmas. I needed to be with my family, my my wife, and 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 focusing on the birth of our Lord. And so we need to have a mature self-knowledge that goes I care too much about this. I'm not a especially if we're, if if you're a lay person, you are never going to have to be put into a situation where you have to give a blessing. So as a lay person, uh, you don't need to worry about that. Um, and these are decisions that are made far above your head anyways. So you worrying about it, it's not going to change one way or the other. Uh, now, that's not to say that we can just be indifferent to these things. I mean, we still have prayer. Well, and, and, and I'll just say this, that, that not a few people and perhaps people that have texted you have wondered what does this mean about the claims that we make about the church and its uh, infallibility in terms of the magisterium. And I would say it doesn't mean anything no. it, definitive. It, you need to be rooted in the what has happened in the history of the church. That's Lots right. of things have been taught. Well, we even to, see in the pages of Scripture that yeah. Paul confronted Peter, right? Yeah. This idea. And that so a prudential blunder on... Uh, Peter's part was called out by a brother bishop. And so, and, you know, tremendous scandal in the um, 16th century church and yeah. uh, bribing cardinals to be elected pope. 
the Holy Spirit does not pick popes. Mm-hmm. Cardinals do. Sure. Under the providential... And the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit guide, the, offers the, guidance. The Holy Spirit is not stymied no. by any choice that any of the cardinals might make. Yeah, so that doesn't... And, and especially the, the definitions of what make infallibility are intentionally kept very, right. very strict. Um, and when we speak about uh, the census fidelium, the, the 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 sense of the faithful and what they believe, it's not just the current trends in the church. It, yeah. it's, it's the census it's fidelium. It's the democracy of the dead. Of the entire history. That's right. So if the entire history of the church has said gay marriage is wrong, it doesn't matter if a if the majority of lay people right now think it's okay, because you have to take into consideration the entire well, history. Well, and, and I would say the vast majority of uh, Christian history never contemplated anything like no. gay marriage. No. Homosexual acting out was sure. deemed in the Old Testament and the New um, an abomination. Mm-hmm. And that is not to... Um, scapegoat or to demonize those who deal with that temptation. It's a real human temptation. I think that the danger that Father Martin makes is that he thinks that people are LGBTQIA to spirit in their essence. Yeah. So that the desires themselves um, are... So I am heterosexual or I am as if it were... I my identity. It's a strong passion, and the, the catechism is very clear about it. But I think that's why people like him and others who are lauding this move of the church, including those in the um, mainstream media, they believe that people are gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender, etc., that, that that's who they are. And so we ought to be able to be who we are but the church would say, no, we're human. My brother's book lays that out, that yeah. he found peace when he found his sexual reality, which is as a man, even though he was attracted to other men, his body was ordered to women. Yeah, your brother Dan's book is very good at laying out Christian anthropology and very concise and readable way. Um, this is my area. This is what I studied. And when I read that, I just... I was underlining almost that. He did a very good job of, of well, And what's interesting, he's an autodidact. I mean, he just read the Fathers, he read the Church. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it was after he wrote the book that he began studying uh, with the Augustine Institute. That's hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, when it, when it comes to figures like Father Martin, or I, I see two errors. There's this, I think, error about God's will, that God's permissive will is the same as his active will. That's right. Um, God might allow something to happen, but that doesn't mean he wants it to happen. Um, he That's how his goodness is shown, is that he can um, allow for freedom uh, to take place, uh, allow for the presence of, of, of sin in the world to corrupt, but he's not stymied by that. But I think in Father Martin's theology, at least, I mean, he might not say this, but... His conclusions seem to betray this misunderstanding that if if something is, then it must be part of God's active will. Um, 
and then just and, and, and something to be celebrated. Yeah. Right? Well, if it's part of God's active will, then that's the natural conclusion. Yeah. It should be celebrated. Uh, but then also this, I see uh, in our culture at large and in our church, very deep misunderstandings and confusions surrounding Christian anthropology. I think this goes back to um, what Sister Lucia said of the Fatima visionary that the final battle will be marriage and the family. Uh, uh, this is what, why it was such a, a central concern of John Paul II. Uh, the, the, we've, we've, we've missed uh, who the human person is, and that is very intimately tied up with matters of sexuality and the family and, and whatnot. But, um, and then Pope Benedict XVI, uh, you go all the way back to like the 50s, all the way till his final writings, He's talking about we've lost the sense of God. Man, especially in the West, has stopped to look has stopped looking at God as the the answer to his life, and has started to look inward as the answer to his life. That the imminent things around us are what's going to make us fulfilled and what's going to make us happy, rather than God. Um, and so I think keeping those things in right order will help us to navigate. Yeah, I think uh, a point that. Uh, Carl Truman makes in in his books, just talking about uh, expressive individualism. Mm. So I define myself. Uh, I mean, that's that's the whole push toward transgenderism and the furries and all of that stuff. That that I I make myself, mm. and uh, that it's rootless if if we don't remember that we have things given, right? You and I are men. Our sex chromosomes. Uh, X, mm-hmm. Y, right? And uh, uh, that isn't the total uh, summation of who we are, but it is an inextricably intimate aspect of our personhood. We are sexed beings, yeah. which is a, a challenge, but also a great, great gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, modern Western culture puts the definition of the person in the will, Uh and so your dignity comes from your ability to choose. Um, this is where we get the justification for things like abortion and contraception and um, gender. And all. If I choose it, you have to respect my choice because that's where my dignity lies. And if you take away my choice, you've taken away my dignity. You see it running through all the different arguments for these yeah, things. Uh, John Paul II saw that human dignity and human nature is is rooted in love. You come from somebody, you're meant for somebody, uh, and if you try to isolate the individual from his relationships, you have you have a monstrous thing. Yeah. Uh, because we're made in the image and likeness of God who is by nature a relationship. Yeah, right. And so to try to isolate us out of our relationships is to make us not human. So, anyways. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking we would talk about that briefly, but uh, yeah, I, I do. Maybe we'll talk just minutes. briefly about <laughs> exactly. We, we uh, get us started on on these matters, but uh, you know, I don't think that that's wasted because this really is, as you pointed out, um, uh, Sister Lucia uh, talked about the fact that the last battle is that of marriage and family, and we're seeing an ongoing assault. And thankfully, we're seeing some. Uh, some awakening on the part of, of Catholic faithful and others, um, even in the secular realm, even atheists who are saying, wait a minute, especially the transgender push is doing harm 
to uh, just take women's athletics, right? But again, uh, Bishop Boyer, let's just shift to a pastoral letter. I think we were talking earlier, I think this is his second pastoral letter, a pastoral letter on Christian stewardship, and it was um, presented to the church on the Feast of the Epiphany. And uh, I'm grateful for Bishop Boyer's encouragement of the entire Church of Lansing to take seriously that everything we have is a gift from God. We were talking about that, right? Our, our very embodiedness, our mind, our heart, our will is from God. And how we use that as stewards, we don't make it ourselves. Everything we have has been given to us mm-hmm. and ultimately from God. And so uh, he reflects on, uh, uh, there's a quote at the beginning, First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And that is our time, our, our, the very gift of our lives, but also the talents that we have and the treasures that we've been given. Yeah, I would say, hmm, probably maybe about the last four years, Bishop Boy has really embraced his role as a teacher. That's one of the, the roles of the bishop is to be the teacher of the faith. And he's so good. Uh, if you haven't um, uh, subscribe to uh, when he was doing the the Bible in a year or just this year right now we're in um, a series of of little um, teachings on the mass every week um, called the road to Emmaus. He's such a good teacher. He's, he finds little ways of like saying things that I hadn't really thought of before, but I I think this, uh, it's very short. Um, It's three pages. Uh, and he just has some really great ways of, of, of kind of distilling these big truths, right? Uh, and one of the things that I th- just struck out to me right away is, is there is an innate human need to offer praise, worship, and sacrifice. So when, and, and later he draws out that conclusion, he says, when we are called to be generous, it's primarily because we need to be generous right. rather than there's a need that I have to fulfill. And if I neglect, it's, it's not primarily the person or the, the cause that I'm neglecting, it's myself. Yeah. And I just I hadn't thought about it in that way before. Yeah, there, there's a um, justice, right? We, we owe God worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we owe it to him. It, it's part of what is due God. And that's why we're gathered every Sunday, first day of the week, to give God the first part of our week. And But uh, I also think it's, it's just to, to ourselves. Like if we don't give God worship, we are putting ourselves outside of the just relationship. And so it's, 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 it's bad for us too. No, that's, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I th- so it's not so much that like God needs you to show up at Sunday Mass. I mean, objectively, he doesn't. That's right. You need to show up at, at Sunday Mass to be in right relationship with him. Yeah, to live in that right ordered uh, relationship with um, God, with ourselves, with uh, the, the community of believers. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he talks about these three different ways in which we can, um, that we're being called uh, to examine our conscience. Uh, of how we're being, uh, we're living this this virtue of Christian stewardship. Uh, the first one he says is our time, uh, and he goes right into our. Do I give my first and last thought of each day to Jesus Christ? 
when I wake up in the morning, is he the first thing in my mind? Or do we reach for the phone? Oh, yeah. You know, and a few right. years ago, I tried putting like an icon on my uh, bedside stand. It's still there. But the first thing I reach for is still my phone. Yeah, I mean, part of it is because we use our phones for alarms, sure. right? Yeah. So it's it's uh, we're addicted to those things, and so better to have a separate alarm actually, mm-hmm. so that we can have a greater chance of giving. Praise. But to arrange your morning in such a matter, and, and, and trust me, I know with having to get kids dropped off to school, that can make your morning kind of insane. Trying to make sure everybody gets breakfast and dressed and. And, and whatnot, but are you arranging your morning so that you get some prayer time in, so that the, the first fruits of your day are given to the Lord? That's not easy. I, I, I'm not one that's talking right now as I've well, got and, it down. And I'll say this. If, if it doesn't seem feasible, finding some time. Well, you don't have to pray a holy hour. Right, right, exactly. Five exactly. minutes. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. start with that. And then I think uh, the Lord's not done, oh, done in generosity. You might find uh, maybe the Lord uh, arranges things or, or enlightens you to see, oh, I can squeeze a couple of other minutes here. So, but it, it's like we're going to talk about uh, financial stewardship in a minute here, but it's the first step has to just be doing it. You have to at least get in the habit of doing it before you can start setting yourself standards to hit. Um, so my my recommendation would be just figure out five minutes. Can you get up five minutes earlier? And and if you feel like five minutes is too much, one one minute, minute. Yeah. exactly. Start somewhere. So, yep. And uh, I I do think that beginning of the the calendar year is a time when we make those resolutions and for us to, to be intentional about giving God the time. And I mean, on my 30-day retreat, I, I was interested in, in the fact that the bishop has, he drew a lot from St. Ignatius mm. of Loyola in this. But on my 30-day retreat, um, uh, I was, I've shared this story at Mass, but uh, I was getting ready to go to dinner at the refectory. We ate in silence. I was just going to sit across from other retreatants. And I just had this prompting from the Lord, stay. And I feel like, you got to be kidding me. I'll be back later. Right? <laughs> but then I sensed the Lord saying, I covet these times. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what you're getting at with regard mm-hmm. to, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, oh, you mean you want to spend time with me? Yeah. It's not just something that I have to do to check a box or to, to prove that I'm faithful. Mm-hmm. No, you want me to know your love and to give you my love. Yeah, because it's 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 only in prayer that we begin to learn who I am and who you are. You know, uh, um, one thing that that I've been growing in learning through spiritual direction and, and prayer is that I look to myself too much for my own security. Mm-hmm. Sure. And maybe there's one part of my life where I've started to give over a little bit more to the Lord, but the Lord's like, no, I want all of it. I want you to look to me for your security in every aspect. Uh, and it's only through spending time with him that he can teach you that. And the more we do that, the more we can be uh, docile and responsive and follow the audibles that he calls mm-hmm. interiorly for us and uh, to be free to say, no, I'm yours. My agenda takes a backseat to yeah. yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just thought it was really great um, that the first thing that the bishop calls us to think about when we're, we're thinking about how we're being generous is with our time, because ultimately, time is our life. We're giving our life when we give time. 
That's right. We only got so many minutes, and when we're when we choose to devote certain minutes to certain places, we're giving we're literally giving our life. To one something. of the one of the questions that I'm sure uh, we have done at times is how are we spending time? Right? Mm-hmm. Are we, oh yeah. Not just am I giving time to to the Lord, but uh, all of our phones. If you've got a smartphone, they they can track how much time you've been on that. And what about other devices? And uh, I think it's sobering to realize how much of our lives are screen dependent. Yeah, if you don't use those screen time apps, I highly recommend it because that'll open your eyes (laughs) to how much time. Uh, But moving on, he talks about the second thing, your talents. Um, And so, uh, you know, God has given every single person uh, talents Gifts, charisms. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's your education. Maybe you were trained uh, in the financial world. Maybe you were trained um, in nutrition, or you know whatever. Maybe the, the the story of your life has brought you. Those are gifts from God that you can make available um, to others, to the to the church community, to the wider community. Um, and so we need to do a, a, an examination of how am I using the gifts that I've been given. Um, and they can be they can be gifts that that aren't front and center. They can be intercessory prayer. Mm. That's powerful and, yeah. and vital for the work of the of the church. Could be uh, being merciful, having a, a heart of mercy for other people. All of us have these gifts, and sometimes we we think if it's not uh, up front and center, that maybe it doesn't matter. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to that, I, I thought it was interesting. He talks about at the end of this paragraph here, um, the second to last paragraph on this page, uh, when I'm making career choices or choices about which direction to go in, am I real, am I turning to the Lord for His input? Uh, I hadn't thought about it that in that context before. That when I'm making a decision of uh, whether or not I should take this job, or if I should, um, how I should uh, devote my this portion of my budget that month. Should I fix up the house, or should I, you know, whatever, go on a vacation, or whatever? Uh, am I looking for the Lord's input on that uh, to let Him um, direct uh, the well, way? That and, and some families have talked to me about the fact that. They've chosen to stay in Lansing because of our faith community. Mm-hmm. So might be able to make more money someplace else, but the preciousness of relationships yeah. and for us to really be wise about that. Now, some of you might be in fields that are increasingly difficult uh, to work in and be obedient to the faith. And so ask the Lord for wisdom as you proceed and trust that he actually cares about that more than you do. Mm-hmm. So then finally he gets to uh, treasure or our financial goods, right? And so um, we just wanted to, 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 to take a few moments to think about how do we approach giving? Now, I know that if there was, there was a definitely a certain part of my life right after I got out of grad school, wasn't making much money, you know, okay. God can't really expect me to be giving. I mean, I have nothing. I'm barely eating as it is. Right. Uh, but I was sharing with you, I got challenged by a book that, you know, I can't give 10% of my wealth, I mean, uh, or my income. That's, that's uh, I wouldn't be able to afford my rent or food that month. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the steps on, on how to become a giver, if you want to, would you like Yeah, to- I, I think... I- 
one of the things that we need to, to recognize is that the way that we deal with money is important to the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the one who talks about money. Pastors don't typically talk about very much. I'm, I'm talking about money right now, but yeah. pastors don't often talk about money. The, the stereotype is the church. They only ask him for my money. Actually, I've said uh, you need to give. It's the same thing with regard to worship. It is good for us to give. And I said, if you don't believe in the ministry here, give someplace else. And how do you begin? Well, be a priority giver. Give first thing. Don't say whatever I have left over or whatever I have whatever I have in my wallet or my purse uh, when the offertory basket comes around. No, be a prior. Give first, trusting. After you, if you're married, talk to your spouse. How are you going to commit? And test the Lord, Malachi 3. Test the Lord in this. If you tithe, will I not open the windows of heaven to bless you? Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Lord wants us to not give out of our surplus, but give sacrificially. Yeah, there's a story of the, the widow who... Uh, Widow's might. She gave out of her need rather than out of her surplus. That's right. She gave more than all of them. The Lord looks on the heart. And uh, so to be a priority giver, to be a planned giver, uh, I don't give every so often, but I'm going to give regularly. Maybe it's every week. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's, uh, you know, every other week at payday, you know. Yeah, when you're when you're, when you're spelling out your budget for that week or that month or whatever the case might be of, of where you've got to spend your paycheck is you're giving part of that plan. I think that's... Yeah, a, that's yeah. absolutely. And uh, what Matthew Kelly talks about in, in Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic is to be a priority giver, to be a planned giver, but then to be a percentage giver. Mm-hmm. So look at what your percentage was last year. Soon you're going to get your statement for the year. You'll be able to see... And then just tally up. Uh, you can either do gross or, or the net. Look at what the percentage is. Uh, the average Catholic, I think, gives 1% to 1.5% of his or her uh, salary uh, to the Lord. Now, we've got a lot of parishioners who are committed to giving 5 some 10%, some more than that. And can I just say, without that generosity, the parish wouldn't wouldn't be able to, to run. Yeah. It is that generosity. Our school wouldn't be open. That's right. That's right. And so maybe you're at uh, 1%. Could you increase that to 2%? Uh, 1.5%. Exactly. <laughs> no. to, to make that, that move. And uh, I think you've shared a story. You and Maureen have shared a story about making a step in faith. Maybe are you comfortable sharing that or not? Well... One thing is, is uh, when we look at our giving every January, we kind of take a look at, okay, what's our income? What are our bills? You know, they they fluctuate so much. And I'm sure every family has the same uh, issue. Um, But we kind of do our monthly budget, but then we do like a year budget and we kind of try to plan out the year so that we have some baseline to kind of make Mm -hmm. adjustments to as we go along. And that's when we kind of decide, okay, where are we going to do our giving? Uh, I'm not exactly sure where we're at as far as percentages. Uh, I know that the majority... And I'm not asking you to... No, what what I mean is uh, percentage... So we give to three different uh, major kind of things. Uh, And I'm not sure what percent of of how that gets breaks down. That's what I meant. Um, but the, the majority, uh, I, I'm again, I'm not sure exactly how much of the of the pot goes to the parish, but the majority goes to the parish, and then we have two smaller um, things that we uh, we support as well. Um, 
And, you know, uh, when we first got married, again, we kind of did the same kind of path. We, we made it a uh, priority, and then we made it part of our regular plan. And then year by year, we, we, we just ratcheted up a little bit until when we got to a point where, um, where we were, we were comfortable about where we were at. And, and, uh, there were a couple of times when, uh, we were like, I don't know if, if this is smart <laughs> to, to, mm. to go up somewhere here. Uh, but we, we had made it a priority to, to get to a certain point in our giving. And so we just kind of stepped out in faith and then, a few different things happened. Uh, a raise came at work. Uh, a bill um, was actually reduced, um, uh, you know, like a gas bill or something mm-hmm. like that. And I know most of the time these bills go up. They don't go down. But in that circumstance, for whatever reason, it went down. Uh, and, and and it would the, the budget worked out, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and that's, what, that's the story that I recall you sharing. So you stepped out in faith. And, and I do think that the Lord honors that. He sees it could be just moving from 1% to 1.5% or from 1% to 2%. Uh, the Lord sees the heart. And uh, one of the things that, that the Lord says through Malachi is, I will rebuke the locust or the devourer so that it will not destroy your crops. There's a sense in which the Lord, there's a sense of justice and when we give generously, the Lord sees that. And we can't, as you said earlier, outgive God. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that people should hear in this uh, sort of a, um, a prosperity gospel. No, that, not at all. You know, oh, you give to God and, you know, the riches are going to come raining down. Um, but God's not going to abandon you. And, and and in one case, I think, quite honestly, I mean, people have spoken freely about it, Um we had the summer of 2021 where we sold our house and we couldn't find one. And the the community of the parish stepped up and provided housing for us for a whole summer uh, from May until October. Um, that's, I feel like, a way in which God takes care of you. Like, yeah. it might not be, oh, my paycheck just increased, but when I had a real need and my family had a real need, God provided the people that took care of that need. Yeah, I, you, you talk about the prosperity gospel. I remember as a child, uh, my parents um, they gave some money to Oral Roberts. Do you do you remember yeah, that yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was a televangelist, and they would once you you gave to them, they would send all kinds of things. And I remember looking at the promotional materials. So this is a very important cause, and we think it is so important that you receive a blessing. That if you had to take a loan to give oh, us no. a gift. Can you imagine? Oh my God! How evil, right? Was that? Yeah. I, smart Alec, me said, "Why don't you take? A yeah, loan you take and give it to me, <laughs> and you get blessed, right?" Uh, but it, we don't believe in the prosperity gospel, but we do believe in biblical principles. So, yes, being so- good stewards of what we've been given. Our very lives. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. You're not going to have difficulty. I mean, God, the one thing that Jesus promised us is the cross. So, uh, and the crown. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, if you're going to follow him, you're going to have difficulties. You know, your difficulties may be health, your difficulties may be financial, your difficulties may be family uh, strife. Um, Whatever cross that you might have, just because you're being generous with the Lord doesn't mean, oh, all your troubles are going to go away. But there will be established in you the right relationship between you and God. 
that your things are not your things. They are God's things, um, God's time, God's talents. Well, and, and kind of circling back to the first part of our discussion, this is what we can do something about. How am mm, I spending my yeah. time? How am I investing myself, my, the gifts that I've been given, the resources that I've been blessed with to further the kingdom of God and the salvation of yeah. souls? Uh, our last podcast, I talked about what's your plot of land that the Lord has, has asked you to take care of. This is your plot of land. That's right. This is where you can have uh, an, an impact, an influence in the world. So... Uh, I yeah, I definitely encourage everybody to read this um, and uh, and and to to seriously, especially if you're married, to sit down with your spouse, pray about this, and not just the the money thing, the time and the talent. How and and so especially, I can just say this: uh, supporting each other if you're married, and and being generous with the Lord, especially when it comes to time. You know, a lot of times, especially families that have small kids, a lot of the burden of childcare is on the mom. Uh, dads, husbands, how are you helping your wife to have the free time to be able to give to the Lord? Uh, and that's a way that you're both giving then to, to the Lord. Um, so anyways, encourage everyone to read this. Absolutely. I'm grateful for Bishop Boye's uh, foresight and uh, his call to me and to all of us to be good stewards. So for another week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. St. Dominic was a contemporary of St. Francis of Assisi and founded the Order of Preachers, the Dominicans. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we consider what we can glean from the life of this medieval saint and apply to our own lives. St. Dominic. St. Dominic de Guzman was born in Spain in 1170 and died in 1221 at the age of 51, which was probably about average considering that life expectancy was severely curtailed by bubonic plague in the 13th century, during which millions of people died. When he was a student, Dominic was so filled with compassion for the poor that he sold his books, his clothes and his furniture to feed them and twice offered himself as a ransom to obtain freedom for those who were held captive by the Moors. At the age of 25, he became the superior of the canons regular of Osma and accompanied his bishop to France. There he was distressed by the ravages of the Albigensian heresy which maintained, among other doctrines, that Jesus was not God, but a mere creature, that no salvation was to be found in the Catholic Church, and that both marriage and war were intrinsically evil. The Albigensians, or Cathars as they are sometimes called, gained their following because despite their heterodox doctrines, they led lives of great asceticism in contrast to the Cistercians, who were tasked with converting them, but who led a very lavish and comfortable existence. Dominic and his bishop had an immediate impact on the people because they espoused a life of fasting, abstinence and penance, and so they gained many followers among those who had up till then been part of the heretic sect. Dominic devoted his life to the conversion of heretics and the defence of the faith. 
To this end, he established his threefold religious congregation, the Order of Preachers. A convent for nuns was founded first to rescue young girls from heresy and crime. Then a company of apostolic men gathered around him and became the Order of Friar Preachers. Lastly came the tertiaries, who were secular persons, both male and female, living in the world. God blessed the new order and France, Italy, Spain and England welcomed the preaching friars. Our Lady took them under her special protection and whispered words to St Dominic as he preached. It was in 1208, while St Dominic was kneeling in the little chapel of Notre-Dame de la Prouille, imploring the Mother of God to save the church, that Our Lady appeared to him, gave him the rosary and told him to go forth and preach. Beads in hand, he revived the courage of the Catholic troops, led them to victory against overwhelming numbers and finally crushed the heresy. His nights were spent in prayer and penance and through his words countless souls were rescued. On three occasions he raised the dead to life. St Dominic was much given to self-denial and penitential acts and this has caused some unsympathetic commentators on his life to portray him as stern, unbending and harsh. But the opposite was in fact the case. Although he was strict with himself, he had a heart of compassion for those in need and went out of his way to help the sick, the poor and the underprivileged. His motivation in opposing heresy was not to condemn those who have fallen into error, but to save them. He founded the Order of Preachers, the Dominicans, and his preaching in part focused on refuting falsehood and arguments against heresy, but he also preached a message of salvation, just as Jesus did and insisted that God is a God of love. He was active in the Crusades against heretics, but rather than involving himself in military action, he was mostly to be found following the Catholic army, reviving religion and reconciling heretics in the cities that had been taken by the victorious crusader Simon de Montfort. The saint's increasing reputation for heroic sanctity and apostolic zeal and profound learning caused him to be much sought after as a candidate for various bishoprics. Three distinct efforts were made to raise him to the episcopate, but St Dominic absolutely refused all episcopal honours, saying that he would rather take flight in the night with nothing but his staff than become a bishop. The life of St Dominic was one of tireless effort in the service of God. While he journeyed from place to place, he prayed and preached almost uninterruptedly. His penances were so severe that those among his order who accidentally discovered them feared that he was endangering his life. A stern sense of duty guided every action of his life, yet his charity was boundless. He hated heresy and laboured untiringly to wipe it out because he loved truth and loved the souls of those among whom he laboured. He never failed to distinguish between the sin and the sinner. It's not surprising, therefore, that Dominic, who had conquered himself before attempting the reformation of others, 
was more than once chosen to show forth the power of God. There are many miracles that are attributed to him and were attested by many witnesses. After signing the bull of canonization on July 13, 1234, a mere 13 years after Dominic's death, Gregory IX declared that he no more doubted the saintliness of St. Dominic than he did that of St. Peter and St. Paul. It's interesting to note that one of the reasons why the popes ordered military-style crusades against the heretics was because these groups not only espoused controversial and anti-Catholic teaching, some of which was quite bizarre, but they also burned down churches, monasteries and other ecclesiastical buildings and persecuted those who were still Catholic, including orphans and widows. The spread of the rosary is attributed to the preaching of Dominic and for centuries the rosary has been at the heart of the Dominican order. Pope Pius XI stated, The rosary of Mary is the principle and foundation on which the very order of St. Dominic rests for making perfect the life of its members and obtaining the salvation of others. For centuries, Dominicans have been instrumental in spreading the rosary and emphasising its power. So what can we learn from this saint who lived so long ago in such a different world than ours? Well, was medieval Europe really so very different? In many ways, there are parallels with our own time. Every day we hear news of new and appalling beliefs and practices being forced upon us by the media and by those whose tenets are diametrically opposed to those of Christianity. Are we to say nothing about it and hide our heads in the sand in the vain hope that it will all blow over and people will come to their senses in the end? Just as St Dominic was faced with new and dangerous religions with, in many cases, demonic influences, so we are confronted by the perverse and heterodox propaganda of those who have been trapped and manipulated by the lies of our enemy, the devil. And just as St Dominic's main aim during his life was to save those who had strayed into error, and just as he refuted their doctrines, so we must hate the sin but love the sinner and pray ardently and consistently for those who have become our enemies and the enemies of Christ. And just as Dominic's preaching was not just aimed at correcting doctrinal error, but focused on sharing the good news of the gospel. So we too, as we stand up for what is true, should also share the good news that God loves us unconditionally, regardless of our weaknesses, sins and faults. It would be a very rare thing indeed if someone were to be converted by being beaten in an argument over doctrine. It's the message of love that has the ability to change someone's heart and to bring them back into the loving embrace of our Father in heaven. Yes, we may gasp at the perversions of truth that we see around us, but do we pray for the conversion of those who have become enemies of Christ? Let's pray for an increase in our own love and for the grace to be able to stand up for the truth as revealed by Scripture and the Church tradition. Lord Jesus, you came to call not the righteous but sinners. Give us the grace we need to resist the lies of the enemy, stand up for the truth 
and pray for those who have been led astray into sin. Help us to love them as you love them, with unconditional love. St. Dominic, pray for us. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Joseph Matthias, Christmas Tabernacle. So in this poem, I try to capture in biblical imagery the wonder of the uh, wonder that the family Christmas tree aroused in me as a child. Hope you can relate to it. It is in dactylic hexameter, which is the meter of Homer. It does not rhyme. I am sorry. And it is one long sentence. How of an evening in late December I chanced to be waking, five years old, the youngest of all my slumbering siblings, bedtimes being a precept then not lightly forsaken. How I had gotten to be in the living room late in the evening, whether I'd stealthily slunk out of bed or my father forgotten what I cannot remember him once forgetting in childhood. That bedside benediction unfailingly given each evening, no matter whether the day had been passed in smiles or in tantrums. How I'd happened to be still awake in pajamas and bathrobe, crouched in the living room corner between the wall and the sofa, near to the four-legged stand where the holy stump of the spruce tree bathed its sides and sucked the strength for its sojourn among us, glorious and brief. How I decided to sit all alone there, under the branching lamplights seven times seven times seven stars in a universe squeezed on itself, with red shifts and blue shifts rendering heaven more vivid. How then I had found myself gazing up where the spruce tree's feathery fingers had smeared all the ceiling, rather the firmament over with stained glass nebulae, just like pictures that Hubble has sent us. How I had knelt all in wonder under the shadowy wings of the boughs, which sappy and fragrant wafted their incense forth and anointed the crash on the table. How I had come to be there one evening, some days before Christmas, long after bedtime, I cannot say, but there I was happy. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.